Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. Got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons out of uthdynasty.com. We're in full off-season mode. We're already one round into an exciting NFL playoffs and we are continuing our series. We got a new series coming up shortly. Also, the Senior Bowl coming up in just a few weeks' time. But we're finishing out the positional series where we can look back, look ahead a little bit, more of a macro view of these dynasty positions. And wide receiver is up. Uh, you can check out in previous weeks' uh, quarterback as well as running back. And Katie, my my view of of wide receiver here is it's deep. Uh, there's something for everyone, whether you want to go towards older production, you want to go towards the promise of of younger players that are just beginning their prime windows. You've got some year one, year two flash players. Uh, there's a little bit of something for everyone, and it seems like it's dispersed across the price points of startup drafts or trading pretty equally. And I guess one thing I would kick off the conversation with is be very careful, whether it's for your own teams, it's analysis of the marketplace be very skeptical of how much production you consider a proven entity and how much you want to pay for someone that is not proven to whatever uh, block point, whatever threshold that you deem is that one wide receiver one season? Is it two or three wide receiver two seasons? Do you have to be a top six at some point or last year? Whatever your thresholds are, really go through before you start drafting or trading or, or things like that. Go through and, and assess how you feel about different earmarks of, of production like that. Yeah, what I like to do if I'm going into a startup draft, especially after a season where so many young guys pop, <clears throat> I like to build tiers of you know five to 10, whatever it may be, where you consider them all similar value. And then if you have the possibility to trade back and still get somebody from that tier while getting extra picks, that's, that's the gravy. That's how you build a team that I think will last. That's how I've built teams. It is wide receiver centric to a certain point, but it depends on the focus of uh, the format. So if it's super flex, tight end, premium, start to tight end, that shifts a little bit. But if it's standard PPR and running backs don't get any boost for point per carry and there's no boost for tight ends and it's just start one quarterback, then that puts the, the premium on the wide receivers. And typically you're going to start, most leagues are between three to five wide receivers. So you want to have plenty of the good solid ones so that you can keep a deeper running back stable and stream those guys. So reliable wide receivers. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to reach. We've had many of cases through the years where you've had a really good season and then they didn't do anything to back it up after that. 
guys like Devontae Parker, he was hot even after his rookie season, even though he didn't have a great rookie season, he didn't have a bad one either, but people were drafting him in the second round of a startup draft when you could have had other guys like a Mike Evans or a Brandon Cooks or a Devontae Adams. And this was several years ago, would have been like 2016. And so, yes, like you said, you've got to be careful between what do you consider somebody that's a young guy that's proven himself and you look forward to years of production versus somebody that you believe is on the verge of a breakout. Those are the guys that I believe are the most dangerous. They haven't quite done enough, but you still have faith in them. Those are the risky ones. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really good point because whether you're in an existing league and you're looking to maybe solidify the position or you're in a startup draft and you're, you're building out your team for the first time in that particular league, I think that when you look at the younger players of who is going to do it, there's a lot of guys that either they flatline, meaning maybe they had a wide receiver 27 or 30 or 35, 40 season in the first year or two. And that can put you on a productive track. But getting all the way home and becoming, if your threshold is a top 12 season, if that's being basically the alpha of your NFL depth chart for the four, you know, the next few seasons, let's say, whatever your threshold are, they're not there. That's the point. You're pro- you know, and, and I think it's very dangerous, as you said. The riskiest profile is projecting ahead. And there, there's that they're going to. And I, I, I use one example, and this is probably a very high-end example. But there are people still, but I think he was even hotter one to two years ago of projecting uh, someone like Terry McLaurin of getting all the way home and being a top 12 guy, top six guy, you know, in terms of a given season. Well, after a promising career start, wide receiver 29 and adjusted points per game year one, wide receiver 20. And then, you know, we we're building off of small sample size and data points here. So you have two, you know, if we're marking that line graph, you know, 29. He goes to 20. Oh, what's next? Wide receiver eight, (laughs) wide receiver five, you know, and he still didn't have the quarterback situation this year. We don't know about Fitzpatrick, but he actually had his, his lowest season wide receiver 33. So he's still meandering around and he hasn't really come through. And you, and again, this is one of the success stories in terms of didn't get all the way home, but yet still fully functional. We're not talking about someone that's you know, unstartable or whatever, but it's just that he hasn't become that cornerstone high end player. He's become just quality dynasty depth, but yet, you know, in the, in his early twenties, that's still a dangerous profile to, I'm sure at his peak, he was valued much, much higher than anything he's ever done. And he still is. And that's another thing. When you start looking at how players have done across their career, the guys that are projected way, you know, they're valued way higher than anything they've ever done. That is something where you're, they either better be really, really young with high pedigree. You've got to have super high confidence in them because otherwise I would say that one, one of the more dangerous things with these young wide receivers that have produced a little bit is you're building your team to win and for yourself and for your lineup and having a nice blend on your roster, or are you trying to build one of those shiny object rosters in the off season and for the league, because guess what? If that player stopped, starts producing less or does not elevate their play, then are you going to try to trade them for more production down the line? Yeah. And I hear things like 
because Jamar Chase is doing so well, T. Higgins is never going to be anything more than a wide receiver two on his own team. But if you look at Jamar Chase's startup price, he's going to be probably top six, top eight. Whereas T. Higgins, you could probably get him, I would guess, somewhere around the third round, maybe fourth round. And Jamar Chase finished wide receiver five and T. Higgins wide receiver 12. Joe Burrow's a good young quarterback. They've they got both that were able to eat. Yeah, they right. both They're ate both on the same team. Exactly. And I think that Cincinnati has proven that they're willing to air it out. Joe Burrow looks the part. So I would take that T. Higgins discount to the bank all day, every day. And I've, I've heard people that want to trade T. Higgins for a discount earlier this season. Again, for the reason, because he's not the alpha of his team. But we've seen plenty of examples, uh, even recently, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, both producing at a high level back at Roddy White and Julio Jones, um, Cooper Cup and, and Robert Woods. And, and it was Julio and Jones. And then it was, and it was Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. So yeah. if you have the right offensive construct, which is a fully functional quarterback, that's a, a you know, a, a mandatory thing. I actually think Dallas back in, was it Des Bryant, Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders, Miles Austin, and someone else, uh, might have been it, that could have been Roy Williams, right? There was a third guy. They all three finished in the top 20 one year. And part of that equation is look at the wide receiver three. Tyler Boyd is good, but he hasn't been a major fantasy factor. Tight end was a black hole. Do they fix that? Um, you know, and they they don't throw it an egregious amount to Joe Mixon. So I that combination can work as long as the, the system can funnel it towards two guys and and they've already shown they have. And actually one of the questions I wrote down is why is CD lamb so clearly ahead by the marketplace of T Higgins? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people keep assuming uh CD lamb is, is, is one of the greatest things ever. He's still like, he was behind Michael Gallup on that depth chart and he really hasn't produced. I mean, you look straight up. I mean, uh, this past year, T. Higgins was better than C.D. Lamb. And if you're saying that Dallas is a better situation, A, I don't think that's a given. B, C.D. Lamb still has Amari Cooper to deal with. And I just, I don't understand that one when you say one guy is like a top three, four, five guy, and then T. Higgins is outside the top 10. I don't understand that spread. Same age, similar production both years, and you can argue T. Higgins has been better. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> and that's where you, you've got to find the voids in the market, whether it's for trading or startup or you're in a dispersal draft or whatever the case may be. That's where you can outwit, outlast and outplay using a survivor analogy, your opponents to be the dynasty, you know, the last one with their flame. <laughs> in terms of uh, team building, uh, one thing I was just thinking about is that number that makes you comfortable. And we've talked before about the diff different formats, whether it's a start one wide receiver mandatory and you go all the way up to maybe three or beyond. I, I would say three is the typical limit, um, right. but there are start four or beyond that go out there. And I would say this, it's definitely a lot easier to start your lineup if in a start one, you have one guy that you're lock and load. Hey, I might be flexing other guys or during the startup draft, I may draft more. But once you have a guy that you feel really stable about, then life becomes easier. If it's a start three, I would say as long as you have a couple that you feel really comfortable about, life becomes easier. 
Not saying you stop at two, but as long as you have two, you're not really playing the committee or matchup game or what do I have game with maybe an older guy that's on a very short window or younger players you project to be in your lineup or mix and match. Uh, that what do you think about that? Or would you even go further and say, if it's a start three, I don't feel comfortable until I have at least three. Do you have anything uh, other than what I mentioned on that? No, I agree with you. It's the portfolio. It's the 401k. You want to have one to two stable studs that you can build your core around. Then you're going to have some younger guys that you project that will be fill-ins here and there. They're going to be spot start based on the situation week to week. And then you've got your bridge and super bridge guys that are going to be much cheaper, but are very productive guys that are the Rodney Dangerfield that don't get any respect, but yet they continue to put up points. Guys like Hunter Renfro, for example, um, I don't know that he's ever going to be considered as good as he is to the market, but yet he will be somebody that you want to have. If you can start three wide receivers, I would love to have him on every one of my rosters for that reason, because he's, I don't see that reliability going away as long as Derek Carr is there. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, so when you say that uh, a couple of, of stud guys, is there an age limitation there? For example, no. does DeAndre Hopkins qualify as one of those two guys? He does. In a startup, I would probably want to go with somebody. Like if he's my second guy, I'm fine with that. But I still, I do want to get somebody like uh, Justin Jefferson or somebody like Chris Brown, Godwin, AJ Brown, somebody like that as my anchor guy. And, and then yes, a Mike Evans, a Deandre Hopkins. I'm fine with them as my stud wide receiver too, because then I'm going to have some guys like a Jerry Judy or somebody that's younger that hasn't quite broke out, but yet can put up point. Christian Kirk is another good example of a depth play. He's starting to become more and more reliable. You can at least predict which games to start. Um, I like Mike Williams in that sneaky role where people underrate him. But guys like C.D. Lamb and D.K. Metcalf, I think they're more um, – there's so many other guys that are in that scoring range. Why pay the price? I don't, I don't really get that. Yeah, I think – the the one thing that I think people overrate is the the longevity factor of the 23, 24, 25 year old wide receiver. Because yes, if you look out two to three seasons, they're still not gonna really be age eroded by the market. But you have to be careful because if they they have incomplete profiles or just pretty good profiles, why are we assuming that they're gonna be in that top 10, top 20 type production spectrum over that span. Because how will, you know, when they get to the end of their rookie contract, how will they be viewed? Are they going to be, you know, back up the Brinks truck and there's going to be like a three-year allegiance on some big, massive four or five-year contract coming? Might they be franchise tagged? And then what happens then? What if they get injured? I mean, a number of variables. I just think too many times people project ahead based on promise in the rookie contract period. 
Um, and I know this, I, and one of the questions I wrote down, and I know this is probably, I may be <laughs> asking the absolute wrong person, but I do think from a profile perspective, it's worth asking. So AJ Brown is valued very highly, very highly. Do you think he's done enough to warrant that? Or is it more projecting the stability for those that think he is top four, top five of, of dynasty wide receivers? Is it more of the, well, he's produced and he really hasn't had a quality storm of factors yet. And that that's coming. What What's the, give me the pro AJ Brown in the top, let's say beyond Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase. If, if that's the top two for most people, what what's the argument to have him in the next two or three wide receivers? I think he's shown enough big game potential and he's had enough big games. He's had some stinkers, but that's okay because with a wide receiver, you want the ceiling. You want the sky's the limit. What can they do to help me win a week to help me win my, my uh, playoff spot and uh, buy and and he has big game potential he so okay the, I, I the yeah 25 I, the 25 point 30 point game factor right okay yeah I, I think like the way I have it tiered there's just a lot of guys you know outside outside the top few and you could you could span the next 20 and I think maybe like I only have that huge span divided by like two tiers, which is very rare for me, but that's how it sorts out. And I think, see, what's interesting is how the valuation, like how I uh, assess player value. But then I look at how, like, for example, Elijah Moore to me absolutely fits the profile of risky business. Yeah. Like, I mean, he finished in the wide receiver thirties, for a Jets team with a rookie quarterback, they had some other, uh, you know, they brought in Corey Davis with a contract. But like, if you value Elijah Moore in the top 15 or 20, like plenty of people do, I mean, projecting that he will get to, I mean, him being wide receiver 24 next year, in my opinion, is not a big enough step up to warrant what his price is this offseason the assumption and it's not even connected to at this point, a good quarterback and a good offense. That's also one of the big risks is level of offense. And you really do want to attach yourself. Ideally you'd like the wide receiver one, but you'd like to attach yourself to the highest level quarterbacks you can, because they're the most stable thing in the NFL. Absolutely. High flying offenses, stable quarterbacks, uh, quarterbacks that can spread the ball around. And, and so that, you're not the only target on the team and, and therefore can be shut down for, for a game. I think that if Elijah and Zach were to connect, I don't know that there's enough weapons on that deep on that uh, team where he wouldn't get shut down by other teams defenses. Once they just figured out that he's their only threat. Yeah. Um, how about Allen Robinson? Talk about a lost year. Talk about a lost period of time for Robinson. Now, 29 years old this offseason. He's got some wide receiver one seasons behind him, he, even though he hasn't been in the, the best situations. This was clearly his worst year. 
but he enters another period of doesn't know where he's going to play. So could that be a franchise tag? Could that be free agency and choosing his landing spot? But now the age factor is creeping in um, and the marketplace generally views him outside the top 30. Is that, does he still have wide receiver one potential? And is he one that if you can get him as your wide receiver three, four of a build that you're, you would still be gravitating towards? He used to be quarterback proof. Um, and this year was a perfect example that, that he wasn't that. And I don't think I, I would love to be able to get him like we were getting Devonte Adams years ago in like round 13 of a startup somewhere in that range. Yes, I would take a shot, but if he's going in round five, round six, no, there's plenty of other targets unless you do a startup once you know where his new landing spot is. I think that that landing spot could be enough to hype him back up so that even if you were to get him now, you could sell him for much higher at that point if you wanted to get out. But I want to still believe. Um, yeah, the issue is when you get to this point in your career, when you have the dud season, Mm-hmm. It really does kind of change the landscape. And frankly, it shakes your profile because, and we're seeing what's happening with Odell Beckham, you know, in the late twenties as well. Like, is that, is that peak coming back, you know, or are you just veteran depth that you don't really know how much of a function it's going to be. The problem with Robinson, I think is he's going too much around Brandon cooks and Deandre Hopkins to say, Oh is yeah, give still? me, give me those guys. Is he still? Yeah. Wow. He's still in like the 30 to 35 range and you got Hopkins around 30 uh, cooks a little bit behind him, but that's always the thing. You know, you kind of look around, you look over your shoulder in either direction and say, yeah, I I mean, that's where dynasty trading comes in. You can kind of look and see what would I do in a startup draft? These guys are all on the clock and how would I feel? And that there's just too much meat on the bone still. Like you were saying, you kind of get need to get that double digit round discount and uh, not really seeing that. And that kind of reminds me of Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that he should be a discount this year, but I don't know if he will be because of just the name, because people hang on to guys like Josh Gordon, just remembering that one flash season and hoping that that can be replicated. Um, Yeah. And Smith-Schuster is three years removed now from a top, uh, top 20 season, you know? And so it's been a while and to think that it's coming back, and and that's really where, and this is why if you're drafting before NFL free agency, it's a different dynamic and different ecosystem than it is after. You might feel better or worse about Smith-Schuster or Robinson or any number of these players that are up in the air. Um, and that's why we always talk about insulating yourself as much as you can if you're drafting before free agency. Also, if you're drafting before the NFL draft. Um, I think we talked about Calvin Ridley maybe a couple months ago during the yes. season when he actually walked away. I mean, a unique, this is not coming back from uh, a physical injury. And so the variables are a lot more nuanced. And I've heard from some Falcons folks that, you know, Ridley could be one that as the Falcons turn over their team a little bit more, that he could definitely be one that is on the move. If that's a trade, if he's ready to come back, he's still just 27. He's got a top five season under his belt. He's got another one that was top 18 or so. 
So he's been productive and a large portion of his career was with Julio Jones. So, but he's coming off a year where he was unproductive, probably not dialed in with whatever uh, mental health he needed. And then he's gone. So Ridley is a real tough one because if you look at just what has he done in his career, it's pretty strong. But if you look at, well, how could the next six to 12 months go? It's not as insulated as you would like, considering he's still going in the top 20 or so. Yeah, he's a risky player because he could just walk away. And if he does get traded this offseason, as people are speculating, where's his landing spot? Right. He's a wide receiver one for Atlanta. And how many of those are out there? Right. Yeah, I think that's a little too much risk for me in a startup draft. If it was maybe, you know, closer to wide receiver 30, I'm in. You know, and when you start elevating towards towards 18 and 20, and we've said before, if you can take some risk out, especially this early in the data points of the offseason, you kind of need to do it when in doubt. But he's one to definitely poke around. And existing league markets are different than startups. And so right. if you've got these younger flash and dash players, you might not view, you know, Elijah Moore taking steps forward, uh, you may view that riskier than, hey, let me get Calvin Ridley. And you might even be able to get Calvin Ridley plus. That's how the off-season and shiny object syndrome works. So uh, that's where it may make some sense because you might be looking at your wide receiver four or five spot on your depth chart. And now you can actually try to absorb some, some risk of Calvin Ridley or someone like a Michael Thomas who's cheaper. But like just that, I, you know, the last six months have been topsy-turvy with where we kind of sit going forward, but existing leagues and especially existing strong leagues, strong teams, you can take uh, a little more, a little more chance at big time upside. Um, if you're contending and I would also highly suggest that people contend until you aren't. So you're sitting here in January and just cause you have the one-on-one and you quote unquote earned it uh, from this past year, it doesn't mean you should really be thinking about not contending this coming year. But would you even consider pivoting off of older productive guys like Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Tyree Kill, those types of guys that are 28, 29, 30 years old and very strong producers, you know, over recent years and basically during their career? I mean, your is your general move just, hey, I'm gonna hunker down, keep those guys, uh, because they're cornerstone elements, and I'd rather have them erode and still be viable on my team two to three years from now as opposed to trying to get out the the year in advance? I like to transition slowly. So if I've got two or three of those guys, I might sell one of them, whichever one I could get the biggest package to help me get quickly from being down in the basement up to playoff caliber and still have the other two. So if I had Devonte Adams, Mike Evans and Brandon Cooks for example, I would try to find which one could get get the most value from in the trade market and keep the other two. Would you try to is the optimal pivot to try to just get a little younger? Like if that was Adams to Chris Godwin, you know, for example, or like would you be looking to just downgrade uh, oh sorry, I, I guess improve 2 3 4 years younger? Would you be looking to maybe just transition out and maybe try to get yourself a, a, a stud tight end instead? Or would you go that riskier bucket of the younger wide receivers that may have an incomplete profile so far? It, it depends on the league and, and how confident that I am 
uh, everybody makes mistakes and speculation is just that, but I would go with two to three years younger plus a piece. So if I did go with Godwin, I'd want to, you know, something that I could at least potentially turn into another starter if I hit. Yeah. Godwin, someone maybe like Deontay Johnson, they seem like possible pivots that are 26 as opposed to 29. And you do kind of reset the clock at least over the next couple of years. I was interested to see that Godwin did take a, a decent, uh, decent hit in the market just because he's ending the the season with an injury. But yeah. the guy's got a couple top 10 finishes. One of them, he was geez, almost wide receiver one on the year. Uh, just a few years ago, once he got going, he's been top 24 ever since. So He's really one that I find some of the times those 25, 26, 27 year olds can be the ones lost a little bit just because they're not as young as the 23 year old phenoms that have come out and produced early, but yet you still get a little more age insulation off the 29, 30s. What about Mike Evans? Is he one of the bigger dynasty deals out there if I tell you that he's going around wide receiver 18 to 25? Yes. What? I don't, I don't understand how fickle the marketplace is. I would love to do... Well, actually, I say that. I mean, <laughs> we had some guests last year, and I guess, I guess I asked some of these types of questions. But I just don't understand how... Is it because he hasn't had... I mean, he has had... Quali- is it because he hasn't finished wide receiver one or something in the past two years? Is that what it takes for like a 29-year-old to maintain their value? I, I don't know. Because Cooper, Cu- Cooper Cup is still in the top 10. He's 29. Devonte Adams, I know, you know, again, he's outproduced Mike Evans. That's not really, but I mean, he's way up there and Mike Evans is way down there. I, I just, all he does is produce quality seasons. That's all he does. Yeah. Lock and lock. In year over year over year. And Keenan and Allen's another one that's yeah. been a productive maven, although he turns 30 this year. Yeah. Uh, there will be people that will be trying to bail out on those kind of guys, whether it's in a trade or a startup. Yeah. I can't imagine any league I have Allen or Evans from this point forward. I find it hard to believe I'm going to trade them just because the, the production and the roster and lineup value is going to be greater than their cost from now until who knows when. Yeah. And that's the thing that you've got to look at and weigh. Uh, Some guys are just going to die on your roster and they should, because they're going to be more valuable to you than they ever will be in in the trade market and what you're going to get in return. So they're better off on your roster than giving them to an opponent. And then you don't get enough in return that never pans out into anything. And they, and then that other person has them when they go off in the playoffs or whatever. I will say this is, this is a, a mental roadblock I had years ago but I was thinking about it backwards years ago when I would, I would say phrases like this is the last time you will ever be able to get a first round pick for player X. And if I was referencing like an older wide receiver, like let's say I would say that phrase right now, this is the last off season you will ever get a first round pick for Mike Evans in return. And I used to say that as a cautionary flag of, you better not miss this window was sort of the dialogue behind that, the, you know, the explanation behind the, the summary phrase. But now I actually mean that in, in the sense that 
no, you probably shouldn't take a late first for Mike Evans. And again, I don't think that's the way to construct trades anyway. But and then guess what happens next offseason? He's not worth a first. He's worth somewhere in the second zone. And you're still you're not going to want to like you, you're less incentivized every single year to make that deal. Right. Because he'll be 30. And guess what? If he puts up another top 24 season, what's he going to look like? Keenan Allen. Would you take a second round pick for Keenan Allen? No. And then guess what? He'll get to 31. And, and we get to the point, Adam Thielen, for example, this past year, he was 31. Would you have traded him for a later second as a contender? No. No, you would not. So now at 32, would you trade Adam Thielen for a late second? Probably still no, right? So because those are, those are, those are crapshoot picks. Those are crapshoot picks. And if you're contending and if Thielen is in your top four wide receivers, that, that's a quality hammer throw when you get into season and you're setting lineups. And I know it can be a frustrating, non-glamorous hold in the offseason, but that's how you get all the way to still having Larry Fitzgerald at 34, 35 years old. And he's in your mix for wide receiver three or flex or whatever still. And not that every 30-year-old that's highly productive gets all the way to 34, 35. But the premise is the price keeps dropping and if you're still in the mix and pointing towards contending, why do you get to that end game? And you, then, then that's the moment you sell Fitzgerald for a third round pick, or you sell Tony Gonzalez at 35 years old for a third round pick. No, if he's playing this year, I'm going to hold him because the price is through the floor that I can still use him in my lineup and just flipping for, for some later pick. There's likely not as much value there. Sure. <laughs> um, what what storylines coming out of 2021 did we not cover? What what interesting players uh, would you like to add, just in terms of trading or roster value, uh, or storylines coming out or free agency going into the offseason? I was bummed about Lavisca Chenault yeah. and the season that he had the expectation was that he would be used like Cordero Patterson actually was used, but urban Meyer is an, just a horrible, horrible NFL coach. And that experiment is over. Thankfully. Um, I don't know if next year will be the year that we expected from him, but Post what a waste. Like yeah. What a waste. What? Post-type sleeper. They happen yeah, all the maybe. time of, of, of people give up. And, and Chenault absolutely fits that profile of he was earmarked for this year. Uh, now he's drifting outside the top 50 wide receivers. So the, the price is perfectly palatable to, exactly. to, ju- yeah, to jump back in. And that's why I actually, you know, Jacksonville and I know a lot of people maybe in week 17 just fluff it off and they weren't paying attention. But you know what? The Colts are playing for something. And and. I would say just in general, yes, front offices or coaches or whatever can manipulate who's playing and not playing. But if you're out there in the NFL, you're playing. There's no, like you put yourself at risk if you somehow go half speed. And I saw a Jacksonville team. I saw Trevor Lawrence. And again, they just, this wasn't the Colts. Like, you know, just, just, they were playing for something, obviously, you know, they were playing for the playoffs and Jacksonville was basically playing for themselves. Not for Urban Meyer, not for some unknown future coach or situation. And I saw a sharp Trevor Lawrence. I saw a Jacksonville team that could could play with anybody, could give anybody a game. 
based on how they played that that week. And I'm pretty excited about the the post hyper post hype sleeper sort of label on Jacksonville just in general going into next year. And I think Chenault is probably the most applicable because uh, you know ETN's still highly valued uh, coming off a, an injury redshirt here. Uh, Trevor Lawrence still highly valued, but Chenault is that younger guy that I'm kind of earmarking here that he is seeing some erosion of the, you didn't do it now and he's insulated. He's paired with Lawrence. So again, I, I still think there's a, a decent opportunity here, but I'm pretty excited because I saw Lawrence spin it with confidence and look like a, a, a different quarterback in that last game. Yeah, absolutely. So just disappointed that again, I, I really was hoping that he would have the type of year that Cordero Patterson actually had the other wide receiver. I'd like to ask you about, because I know you were high on him when he was in college and coming out as a rookie. Uh, what's the status on Jalen Rager? Oh, I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, well, no, I know. Unfortunately uh, he is on the bus track. I mean, there's nothing else you can say. And I think stubbornly digging in your heels. I mean, I'm still a little bit above market, but part of that is two two seasons does not a career make. Um, I I adjust every single step of the way, but it doesn't mean I go all the way to being like you know, oh that's it, regular wide receiver 100. Because I mean, round one guys, two years in, we've seen pockets of, of turning things around. But to say that the same ceiling is still there because the step it wasn't taken forward. But to say that, that Jalen Reger, uh, excuse me, to say that Jalen Hurts gives, and, and I know Devonta Smith produced well as a rookie, uh, per, certainly on that promising track, uh, but he's another one that he takes three steps forward uh, next year. But if, a, if a, a stronger quarterback comes in, a stronger passing quarterback comes in, how does it look? But also, they might be just looking to replace and supplement that that wide receiver spot because they they look and they say we got Smith and we have what else? We don't know. And Rager is part of that. We don't like it or we don't know. So he's at risk of that, which is highly concerning. But pedigree, you get more chances. I mean, look at Laquan Treadwell for goodness' sake. Like, who would have ever thought he would come back and actually be a flex or wide receiver three viable guy down the stretch of this season? So I'm not writing him off, but he is outside my top 50 and he is not on the a quality track. And at a minimum, you have to lop off a huge probability portion of the pie of saying he's going to be a wide receiver one in the future. And the odds of being a top 24 hit in a future season are significantly lower than they were when he was just coming out. And he was a very strong prospect, but you know, he, he I mean, Going from wide receiver 84 as a rookie to 116 last year, and you're still on this, you know, on your original team. The change of scenery in one to two seasons, even before maybe he gets to the end of his rookie contract, is a possibility. And frankly, it wouldn't be the worst thing for him. But yeah, I'm I'm still the the good thing is he basically is in complete flyer zone where I typically in startups take take running backs. But he might be one of the very few exceptions because what I normally go for is either the truly older wide receivers, you know, when you get in that zone where you you like the profile, or you go towards who has high level and round one would qualify pedigree, where you say that'll be my final wide receiver 
that I take a shot on because he's going in the zone of guys like you know maybe Sammy Watkins or AJ Green or if you're taking a young guy it might be someone like Tyler Johnson I mean Johnson I mean so you really he's going in a zone that's low enough that you say oh that's kind of palatable I can I can get on board with that and in an existing league I mean you're talking about a throw in to some bigger deal or you might heck you might be able to get him for like a late third round pick. Now I'd probably rather trade in the rookie draft time, that late third round for an injury away running back. I think there's more utility there, but yeah, just know that. I mean, I still like regular the profile on paper, but it hasn't been a good look with, I mean, he had that punt fumble. He had, he's had a number of drops this year. It seems like he's made more bad plays than good. And is that mental? Is that uh, just, you know, being so down on himself because this first two years have not gone the way he's thought just just not a good look and it's it's hard to kind of get out of your own way sometimes and then one more question for yeah. you uh what do you make of the uh terrace marshall and Gosh. he had a great preseason and then vanished yeah. like a ghost yeah uh, he's another one that again he's one data point in it was a lost year but he's a top one percent profile and when you say they kept force feeding robbie robbie anderson marshall these rookie seasons that are clouded by just in and out with injury and you say the quarterback play wasn't good. You've got DJ Moore there as the clear number one. That's a lot of stuff to overcome. So I'm actually looking forward to the year two discount. Um, he actually is someone that I would I would go for in a rookie draft. He is going around LaVisca Chenault price. So those are two guys kind of, you know, maybe fighting for one roster spot or that one, one pick that you make in a startup. But yeah, I think Marshall... Uh, there's there's a lot of guys that have been productive that the year one is basically a a complete no show for a number of Darius reasons. Thomas is a good example. Yeah, uh, he had a well. Devonte Adams was another one, but I just he's got enough pedigree with round two elite profile, and again that situation was completely toxic and blocked. So y- you figure now is it going to be unblocked this year? So that might be one factor. Maybe you see how the first couple months of the offseason go, and then you say. I'm still going to wait longer. To me, it seems like a patience play of there's not, you don't have to necessarily jump in at wide receiver 50 prices and draft them now, because if they don't get a quarterback upgrade and DJ Moore is still going to be around. So I think there is a limited ceiling. I do like the profile, but this is why assessing the player. But again, with players that aren't going to be auto starts in your lineup, you do also have to ask yourself, is this the optimal time frame to buy in as well? Yeah. All right. Uh, big show. Uh, talking wide receiver. We'll have tight end next week, finishing out the series here, looking at the state of the union at each dynasty skill position. Katie Flower between episodes. You heard her talking on this episode, and frankly, for hundreds of episodes, talking about player value, dynasty startups, team building. Uh, one of one of Katie's many strengths is, is dynasty team building, especially from the ground up. And you heard some of those talking points in this episode at wide receiver, critical position coming out of your draft. And you can contact her between episodes at FFO underscore Skyler399 on Twitter. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. And sign up at UTHDynasty.com. You're going to get a lot of access to premium podcasts available on any podcasting app you like. You get a free preview by signing up of the UTH Trade Calculator. Have your best offseason, drafting season, trading season, team building season in 2022 yet by becoming a general manager plus subscriber. For Katie Flower, I am Chad Parsons. Until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, keep building those dynasties.